As a disclaimer, views expressed in interviews are solely those of the individuals and do not necessarily represent those of My Ag Life, JCS Marketing, and its employees. Welcome to My Ag Life, where we cover your world in agriculture. This podcast is powered by the top publications in the industry West Coast Nut, Progressive Crop Consultant, and Organic Farmer Magazine. Here is your host, Taylor Chalstrom. All right. Hi, welcome to my Ag Life. Today, we're talking with Devin Clark, CCA and PCA and Agronomy Solutions Manager with Yara about why the industry, the almond industry should care about almond production's carbon footprint and, and kind of improving it. Devin, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. Great to have you here today. So, Devin, let's start off with defining carbon footprint in the context of almond production. It's not necessarily the same as, you know, when we talk about carbon footprint in other industries. How do you describe it here? Within the context of almonds, when we're talking about carbon footprint, I always want to stress the importance of looking at uh, the carbon emissions as a function of the value that is being produced, in this case, the food, right? We cannot lose sight of the fact that food is is needed to be produced and needed to be produced efficiently. Um, And so we always wanna make sure that as opposed to looking at an absolute carbon footprint, where we're looking at just the total units of carbon emissions in a production system, we are uh, calibrating that against the value that that system is able to produce for the uh, for our uh, local economies and our uh, food resources. So, with that being said, you know, really we look at this as um, kind of a measure of energy resources that are utilized uh, in the production of that food. Um, And in a way, it can be looked at as a measure of efficiency in a lot of ways. Um, And so all of our activities, uh, whether it be irrigation inputs and management, crop nutrition inputs and management, um, tractors running up and down the uh, orchard rows, all of those have a carbon footprint associated with those activities. Um, and so we can look at our the extent of all of our farming activities and the associated emissions related to those as a way of kind of documenting and tracking our efficiencies over time. Um, and again, definitely relating it back to that unit of food production. Definitely. That's a great way of describing it, Devin. And why, you know, should an almond grower or a consultant, a PCA or CSA or, or any other industry person, you know, kind of care about this definition, this, this carbon footprint for almonds, you know, uh, can you explain really the practical relevance of the emissions that come out of, you know, the process of growing this crop? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I would, I would want to stress, you know, before diving into that too much, that carbon footprint in and of itself is this this is very early stage uh, in terms of um, practical uh, practical meaning for for the growers I would say in a lot of cases um, in terms of the way that we anticipate reporting and things of that uh, nature coming down in the future um, so so it is this is early stage and it's not for for everyone but um, the practical sense that I always try to put this into for a, a grower to at least pique their interest or an advisor for that matter is that that measure of efficiency right and so we look at um, some of the life cycle assessments that have been pre- 
produced for almonds specifically that give us a good roadmap of the points of emissions production in our systems. And so those two most significant points of production are irrigation management and nutrient management. Um, and that actually coincides with two of the largest inputs in terms of volume and costs that are associated with our production systems as well. And so that's where it becomes really practical for the advisor and the grower, because as you, as you, you we, we never lead with the intent to improve our emissions just for the sake of improving our emissions, but we lead with the intent to improve the efficiency of our input management, right? Um, and that's something that I think a grower and advisor can, can both always get on board with. Um, and so, you know, we look at, uh, especially in times like 2022, where we had input costs through the roof, uh, be it drought on the irrigation side and, um, you know, logistics and, and uh, supply chain constraints for inputs driving prices through the roof, we really had to focus on a nutrient use efficiency and water use efficiency as a target objective, uh, more so than we probably have in years past. And when we are able to improve efficiencies in those two areas primarily, we are able to not only improve our ROI at the end of the day, right? But it also comes with this side benefit that, yes, in fact, as a almond producer, you reduced your overall carbon footprint um, because you're looking at that again on that per unit of food production. Definitely. And Devin, if you could enlighten me, are there, you know, goals within the industry, like set goals right now that, you know, to be reducing this carbon footprint? Is there a, a further incentive to, to do this, I guess, at the moment? Yeah, at the at the very moment, I would say no. Uh, in many cases, um, there are certain food companies that um, that may be looking to create programs within their supply chains where um, there are preferential uh, contracts that are able to be established or something of that nature. Um, but few and far between. Um, I think you know those will continue to evolve quite rapidly. I expect. Um, I do know that. There were two bills uh, that were passed in the Senate in 2023, uh, bills 253 and 261, um, that essentially creates a requirement that uh, companies operating in the state of California, doing business in the state of California, uh, making, I believe it was revenues in excess of um, 500 million. I believe was the, the figure, if I'm not mistaken, um, that they will be required to begin reporting on their carbon emissions uh, up and downstream. So um, upstream essentially would be those emissions from the farm uh, farms that are producing the ingredients that they are actually incorporating into their food products. Um, and so uh, so that can be food companies, that can be others. But there are some, some notable companies in the almond industry that are in excess of that $500 million uh, revenue um, line. And so they will ultimately be required to start reporting at some, uh, some point in time. If they are going to be required to report their upstream uh, emissions, then that means that there's going to need to be some level of accounting that takes place at the field level. Otherwise, they won't be able to meet their um, requirements. So that's the one that I think is more, um, more uh, likely to rear its head first, um, at being as we, those bills have already been passed. Um, but I think from a, from a global food supply chain uh, standpoint that we do hopefully see some ways of um, 
you know, mitigating the risks for growers to be able to take on practices and management strategies that uh, improve the overall sustainability and carbon footprint as a, as a factor. You know, to me from, I guess, a non-grower perspective, some of this kind of seems like a no brainer when you put it all together, you know, you know, reducing the carbon footprint, you know, you've, you know, in, in doing that, you're making your operation more efficient. Although, like you said, there are some risks associated with this at the moment. Um, you're, you know, you got the side benefit of it being better from the environment. And then the other thing that I think of, um, you know, when you say all this stuff and before we even really get into the nitty gritty of it is it's, it's a marketable thing for, you know, the industry, like you, you want, uh, you know, consumers want to know that, that the industry is reducing their emissions. It's, it's something that, um, you know, people have used against the ag industry for, for years now. I feel like, um, working towards these practices is just a kind of a net benefit. Yeah, absolutely. And I actually just, uh, posted earlier in the week on, on LinkedIn, uh, after a visit, uh, to Costco, um, where there was two aisles essentially of nuts, um, in, in different packaged goods. Right. And so this area, this space used to be essentially dominated by almonds in this three pound almond bag. Um, and, and this visit, the almonds in that three pound bag represented about 7% of that total shelf space. Right. And so you had a lot of Brazil nuts and macadamia nuts and cashews and, um, you know, and, and like, and as I, as I commented in that post, you know, there's, there's nothing against those other nuts. Um, but this is a space that used to be dominated by almonds and there's a lot, I don't think that consumers understand, um, about the production production practices of any of those other nuts. Right. Um, and I think that there are some systems that are, are maybe, uh, equal and some that are maybe, uh, less favorable in terms of their production practices. But what we do know about almond production systems is that we have a significant opportunity um, as, as the ability to account for it catches up because that's one of the big limiting factors right now is there's no um, there's no consistency in accounting methodologies across industry across uh, different components of the industry um, so it be, it's difficult for for that harmony to exist. But as those accounting methodologies catch up and there is some harmony there, um, you know, there is a really good story to tell in almond production, uh, specifically in the fact that, you know, we have the ability to produce four crops a year, right? We have the biomass that comes on the trees. We have the kernels that we eat and, and buy out of the store there. We have also the shells and the hulls and nothing essentially goes to waste. And even at the end of life, right, we've seen this, um, this, this, rise in the practicing of whole orchard recycling, where those trees at the end of their 25 year, give or take lifespan are actually being reincorporated back into the soil. And so from a carbon footprint standpoint, um, and, and also one thing to think about uh, that's very important is what we are producing in the edible portion of this is a very uh, premium grade type of pr uh, protein product, right? Um, and so when you're able to produce a very premium type of protein product like an almond, and then uh, at the same component, at the same time, be able to create that in almost a zero waste type of system, 
right? That's a really positive story to tell and, and something that, you know, we've seen domestic shipments um, kind of decline over the last year or two um, and would like to be able to, would like to see us be able to tell that story better and, and not have, you know, that type of competition like I saw in that, in that Costco the other day. Definitely. 100% agree. Great sentiments there. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Early registration for the 2024 Crop Consultant Conference hosted by Progressive Crop Consultant Magazine and Western Region Certified Crop Advisors is now open. The popular event for certified crop advisors, pest control advisors, grower applicators, and industry professionals is the mainstay for all continuing education needs this year and will take place on September 25th and 26th at the Visalia Convention Center. Visit myaglife.com slash events for the early discounted rate of $275 per person, which includes the live conference, a trade show with 70 plus exhibits, first class dining, entertainment, and a mixer. We'll see you there. Hi, we're back talking with Devin Clark, CCA, PCA, and Agronomy Solutions Manager with Yara about why growers and the industry should care about almond production's carbon footprint and improving it. So kind of getting into the the nitty gritty of this here, Devin, you know, people, um, I guess in other industries, when they think about carbon footprint, they're only thinking about like something like CO2, carbon dioxide. Um, but I understand in almonds, actually the primary concern is N2O, nitrous oxide um, for production. And it's, as you say, kind of the lowest hanging fruit for improving carbon footprint. I'm curious as to why that is. Yeah, nitrous oxide is very critical to be uh, aware of because the fact is that nitrous oxide emissions are equivalent to just under 300 times what a single CO2 uh, unit would be. Um, And so we do have nitrous oxide that uh, is present in a lot of or, or is a factor in a lot of the production practices of mineral fertilizers. Um, we have nitrous oxide emissions that can take place in the field from a process of denitrification um, when you have overly saturated soils. Um, and so being as it is 300 times more potent of a greenhouse gas than CO2, then that accounting for that starts to add up really fast, right? Um, and the nitrogen management component of uh, a total almond production carbon footprint represent is represented about 40% by that nitrogen, uh, sorry, that nitrogen management component. Um, the other, the other components we actually are dominated by, uh, the irrigation side on 33% as well. And then it's a mix of, of other factors, um, in the production practices. So, that nitrogen management component um, is is really significant and dominated by that nitrous oxide. Um, the other one uh, that doesn't probably get as much usage in almonds, um, although it's still very prevalent in the form of, of uh, certain nitrogen fertilizers, is urea. Um, and so urea in and of itself, um, even though it's not a necessarily a, a high nitrous oxide emitting uh, input, um, the formula for urea itself actually has CO2 in that formula. So as that uh, material is applied to the field um, and even surface applied and irrigated in, in this case, the transformation um, at the soil level uh, can actually reduce ammonia gas um, and it can actually produce uh, more emissions um, at that point by releasing that CO2. 
Certainly. And so up to this point, Devin, I mean, you've highlighted, like you just said, nitrogen management is key to improving an almond growers' carbon footprint. Also, irrigation management is in that mix as well. You know, how are those two things intertwined? And uh, what are some of the things that um, folks in the almond industry, growers, consultants, et cetera, can do on those two fronts, irrigation and nitrogen, um, to, to help out? Yeah, so they they are intertwined because uh, nitrogen specifically um, moves in a mass flow type of situation in an almond root system or most plant root systems, right? Um, So you can't have proper nitrogen uh, uh, usage without the irrigation component of it. Um, they go hand in hand. And because again, they they dominate that total carbon footprint uh, to the tune of about 77%, right? Those, those are our key opportunities where with some levels of improvement on each one of those fronts, um, we can make pretty good strides. Uh, for example, we have a, uh, Yara has an incubator farm in Modesto, California, where we've been looking at changing, you know, input types in terms of nitrogen forms, as well as the management of those forms using essentially similar rates, right? But changing the management and the inputs. um, And we've been able to reduce the carbon footprint of our nitrogen management portion by about 28% on average over a more uh, traditional, maybe four application UAN type of uh, management process. Um, And so we have to understand the way that our systems are designed to operate in terms of our irrigation. We have to understand the site specific characteristics that will dictate the appropriate form of nitrogen to be applied and and really leaning back on those four R's of nutrient stewardship, right? So we need to understand the right rate, the right place, the right time and the right source. And that right source is not only just the individual mineral nutrient itself, but it's the form that that nutrient is being delivered in that's important. Um, and so some of the things that, you know, from an irrigation management standpoint that are, are really necessary to improve those efficiencies would be first and foremost, you know, a DU test. I know that gets hammered uh, a lot uh, in terms of addressing inefficiencies, um, but it is so fundamental to, to both of these factors, because if you have ineffic- or a, a DU that is very poor, you're not only going to be delivering water in a way that's not useful to the orchard as a whole, but you're going to be tagging the nitrogen along with that because we typically fertigate most of these inputs. Um, some other ones, you know, obviously addressing leaks and plugs um, in the sprinklers and in the lines. Um, but one of the other ones that maybe gets overlooked sometimes is really being cognizant of matching the application of our uh, water inputs to the soil conditions, right? Um, and that is primarily soil texture and, and, and then the rooting depth. Um, and so when we're doing, you know, 20, you know tw- between 24 and 48 hour sets in many cases, there's not a lot of soils that, um, that will, uh, or, or systems that will benefit in that case um, because the soil is going to be oversaturated. You're going to be moving uh, inputs in terms of water and nutrients down below the root zone. Um, but you know, it, is, it does have to be calibrated by that individual site. And then on the nitrogen side, the, what we are really stressing um, and have been for, for some time, especially with, like I said, the, the work that we've been doing at our incubator farm, um, but we're hearing also 
the entirety of the industry kind of getting behind this idea of continuous fertigation now too. Um, so I got to participate recently with the, in the Almond Board Nutrient Management Summit um, and every single uh, cooperative extension agent, every single UC Davis researcher that was getting up on that stage, they're all talking about continuous fertigation. And we've been doing this at the farm um, and, and to the extent where we are running our fertilizer programs in nitrogen from 70% leaf out all the way through until harvest, which is about two months longer than what is traditionally acceptable in almonds. Um, but that has actually, you know, improved our nitrogen use efficiency by about 15% on average over four years. Um, that's improved our water use efficiency by about 20% on average over four years, and they're getting the same water treatments. Um, and so this continuous fertigation strategy is allowing us to uh, more efficiently feed that crop what it needs when it needs it, so that we were able to produce more with every application that we're making. Um, you know, and, and, and beyond the continuous fertigation component, you know, one thing that gets overlooked in a lot of cases um, is understanding and following crop demands more accurately, right? Uh, last year, um, you know, versus say like 2021 was a great example where we had this very cool, mild spring. Um, and we had a lot of delays, I would say, in the development of the crop itself. Um, so nut fill, I think, took about six weeks last year, whereas in 2021, it took about two weeks. And so if we're still fertilizing to the same calendar basis that we did in 2021, as we, as we are in 2023, right, then we are likely overfeeding what that crop needs when it needs it. And we're not going, and then we're going to be starving it later when it actually, that demand really kicks in because it starts to progress, right? So you're creating imbalances early and you're creating actually problems in a lot of cases with things like hole rot and, and other disease infections. Um, and then you're starving that crop later, which is allowing those, those issues actually to perpetuate even further. Um, so that crop demand component is really important. Um, and, and ultimately, it's it, again, it goes back to the four hours of nutrient stewardship. And I'll stress that until I'm blue in the face, as fundamental as it seems. But when you take those principles and you really apply them to each individual site and the spe specific needs of that particular site, then we have seen that actually not only become more profitable, but also be able to improve on these efficiency metrics and what we would co consider sustainable, um, as well as making big strides in that carbon footprint piece um, and, and ultimately being able to make a large dent with very minimal effort. Um, and so that's where I kind of stress that low hanging fruit of, you know, the nitrous oxide and also that, uh, that irrigation component. Definitely. I mean, and it's clear as you've just laid out that there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that can be done within irrigation and, and nutrient management um, to, to, to mitigate you know, these, these emissions, this footprint. Um, I want to go back to the continuous fertigation bit real quick, Devin, you know, I think about the four R's and you talk about the benefits there. Is that something that, um, you know, taking the four R's into consideration, is that something that any grower could potentially do? Or is it again, going to be like a site specific situation? The continuous fertigation component is uh, is a, a another step um, and an advancement in management practices that um, not every grower is going to be equipped to do with their current system, right? There's a lot of manual valve changing um, that still takes place out there. Um, there's a lot of manual, uh, you know, tank valve opening um, and closing that that still takes place out there, and that 
you know, that works in most cases when you're operating on, you know, a four to five slug uh, type of operation. What is, I think is a big, um, a major impediment for many growers to look to adopting something like a continuous fertigation strategy. One, there's some economics obviously associated with the equipment to, to upgrade that equipment, to allow for more frequent applications without increasing the labor, right? And so there's this perception that, you know, if I, if to, by moving to a continuous fertigation strategy where I'm doing, you know, weekly or even sub-weekly applications, that I'm going to be taking my, my, my four slug application management practices, and I'm going to be doing that now 16, 20, 30 times and replicating that, right? Um, and that is a workload that is, is not sustainable, right? Um, and so it's really the equipment that enables that application frequency to take place um, and to be able to actually streamline those efforts um, and make them more efficient in your labor relations. So not everybody is equipped to do it right out of the gates. Um, there are some, some fairly simple installations um, that do have some, some upfront economics associated with them. Um, what we've looked at in our efforts to support continuous fertigation is that with the improvements in efficiency, um, even at lower crop prices, you know, in the dollar fifty uh, to dollar sixty range that we've been seeing, um, those gains in efficiency and production can actually pay themselves back in about three years. Well, thank you for that clarification, Devin. And uh, there's one other thing I'm curious about here. Um, you know, we've we've been talking about nitrogen and irrigation management and nitrous oxide in the context of that. I'm curious, um, looking, you know, outward from those things, if there are other relevant areas within the, the production process of almonds that growers could look at to assess their carbon footprint, maybe even going back to CO2 itself. I mean, what, what, what do you think there? It's, it is a bit challenging, I would say still to date, um, because if, you know, Again, things haven't even been sorted out from a regulatory standpoint, let alone having that be able to trickle down in some meaningful form down to the grower level, right? Um, I would say that, in my opinion, the Cool Farm tool is probably the most relevant tool to be able to utilize for a kind of a, a rough um, accounting at, at the farm level. Um, there are other tools like Comet Planner uh, that exists where Comet Planner really kind of looks at different scenarios of, you know, adopting compost or, or, in, you know, implementing cover crops, some of that nature, it doesn't really do the full accounting, um, which is, which is really helpful because, you know, you're, you're able to take something, you're able to take a multitude of, of, of inputs and, and resources and management practices with different units of measure and be able to harmonize them underneath this carbon footprint, you know, value um, or the CO2 value. So I think from a full accounting standpoint, Cool Farm Tool really is probably the best uh, tool out there. Although there is not a specific orchard or almond module within that, you can you can fumble your way through using one of the other modules um, for like open field crop type stuff. Um, beyond that, you know, in terms of actually improving our management practices that will ultimately support reductions in carbon footprint at the field level, NRCS 590 code, um, the nutrient management conservation code, uh, is got a lot of great, uh, tools in there. Um, you know, the Almond Board of California, um, has a lot of knowledgeable staff members that can gu guide you through the current state of emissions and, and regulatory and, uh, and kind of food chain aspects of emissions um, where we're at to date. 
And, and also, you know, reach out to your handler um, if there is interest to understand what is the current state of affairs in terms of what buyers are looking for and what they may be offering. Um, because if there are opportunities out there that, uh, that are, you know, um, unique to your particular handler or the particular buyer, um, then there are resources to be able to guide you in making the improvements and, and supporting that accountability. Definitely. Well, thank you for laying out such a, you know, a detailed explanation of the carbon footprint as it relates to almond production, Devin. We really appreciate that. And, you know, whether or, you know, whatever your reasons are as, as a grower or a consultant or someone in the industry, you know, to do this, there's, there's clearly benefits to, to lowering this footprint. And while the, the regulatory pressure might not fully be there yet, given the direction the state is going, it most likely will be in the future. So, you know, good to start thinking about these things and, and, and why it matters. So Devin, thank you for coming on the show today. And again, talking about improving almond productions as carbon footprint. We appreciate you being here. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thank you very much. Fantastic. This is Taylor Charleston for My Ag Life. Thank you for listening. Subscribe for updates, exclusive content, and more at myaglife.com.